0: That's who. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, a friend of the show, Substack musings of an old sports writer, but certainly incredibly relevant on a day like today, going where we're going now with the Colts during training camp. Bob Kravitz on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. He does join us. I'll be honest with you, Bob. Yesterday I was talking to the folks here on the show, and I thought – you know what? They're ultimately going to come to their senses and, and work this out, especially you know in mind with the short term. But looking at at Jonathan Taylor today and that look that he had during the uh, running back workout segment that he was uh, watching. I I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't know where this thing is all going. I just wish at some point this would stop being somewhat of a clown show, get on even ground, and start really working toward winning sometime again soon. You know what I mean?
2: Well, last year was a clown show, so why shouldn't we expect it to continue into this year, even with a new coach and a new quarterback? I mean, Jim Erste, and I'm going to write about this this week, Jim Herstay really needs to be quiet. You know, I mean, I, I love the guy. I really do. I, I, I treasure the time that I, I spend with him, and I think he's a, a really good owner except for last year. But he's got to get the hell out of the, out of the way and let Chris Ballard do what Chris Ballard's going to do. Um, I think because of the devaluation of running backs, there is no way they're going to make make him a long-term offer. And now you've got, first, thing. what he has to say, and you've got uh, uh, the uh, agent. I think his last name is Kawa. Um, Malki Kawa, I think is his name. He's making ca- comments. This is not good for anybody. And it, it's a really bad... Um, it, 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 just, it just doesn't look good for either side, the way this thing is playing out. So Bob Kravitz joins us via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline.
0: I want to play off of what you just said, and I would agree with you, too, I think Jim, in the past, Bob, has only been outspoken when he's not necessarily all in, in trusting the decision-making that he has hired. We saw that last yeah. year with Chris Ballard. We've seen that in the past with, um, with, um, with Ryan. When we didn't see this was with Bill Poland. Now, granted, I know that they had Peyton Manning and the landscape was much different then. But you had Bill Polian. Bill Polian knew how many paper clips were on everybody's desk. He knew everything on a daily basis. What was going on in that building, in and out of the building. He had his own show on a Monday night. He knew everything. And then, because of that, Jim, along with his success, stayed out of it. And then, just kind of, you know, reaped the benefits of that success. Somehow, some way, he has to trust those that are making the decisions beneath him again. To, I think, get back on the track to winning again. This
2: looks a lot like it did pre, really, for a number of years, pre Poleon here. It, it really does. And, you know, it, it, it's sad because, you know, uh, I mean, if you don't trust Chris Ballard, then fire him. Get rid of him. Yep. You know, if you don't believe that he's, he's going to make the right move, and, and you're making it significantly harder for him to get a deal – you're going back and forth with uh, Jonathan Taylor's agent. Now, he says that he was reacting to the Najee Harris situation, but come on. I mean, we're not stupid. Um, You know, I mean, he was certainly referencing, if not directly, then indirectly, the situation here with uh, Jonathan Taylor. I don't think there's any question. Jonathan Taylor is miserably underpaid. At 4.3, to have done... What he's done is way underpaid. That said, with running backs, I mean they're just different. And you look at running backs and the guys who've gotten big contracts like Todd Gurley, like Ezekiel Elliott, um, guys like that. They don't. They just don't last. I mean, they're good for two, three, maybe four years tops. You don't generally give long-term extensions to running backs now. Is there an opening for a shorter-term deal that would pay him closer to what he's worth? Maybe so. Maybe that's the way they've got to go. But it sounds to me, uh, listening to the comments on both sides, that the Colts are not going to budge. And they look stupid now. They look speckless now if they budged and gave in. Um, But, you know, the problem is that running backs don't last. And it's sad, but it's true. Um, the average NFL, uh, uh, you know, the average NFL career is 3.2 years. It's not, it's not, it's about that for uh, running backs, uh, even the best ones. I mean, there are not a lot of Derrick Henrys out there. So uh, I think we're at a standstill. We're at a standoff, and this thing is just going to get uglier and uglier as we go along. To Bob Kravitz
0: joining us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, I have said this, Bob. I think unlike anywhere else in the NFL right now, the Colts, where we sit right now, and then even into next year, need a running back and Jonathan Taylor, just like Jonathan Taylor needs the Colts. I just, I think I this is this, Bob. This encompassing situation is different than it is anywhere else right now, and for the life of me, because they can't come to this realization is a bit jarring it just is considering where they are with a rookie quarterback very inexperienced you know and coming off last year with all the question marks about the offensive line and the lack of weapons and all of that and trying to move this forward to get this back to you know the winning value that we always thought it it should be and certainly with with a guy like anthony richardson this is detrimental to the entire works
2: to me right now the way this is played out yeah, I mean, yeah, you, know, you, you want it. Look, uh, I, I've been out at uh, Grand Park. I mean, what's his, uh, Richardson threw a sixty-yard touchdown pass to Alec Pierce, and the crowd—it was indoors because of the rainstorm. The crowd was bananas. I mean, there there is a not so much a good feeling as there is a feeling of we're over the. The, the garbage with the rent the quarterback, the revolving door. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fresh new start. And now you've got this just kind of hanging over the proceedings. And that's not good for anybody. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Pop Kravitz on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What what to you?
0: You've been around this so long. I mean, you've been through a variety of situations. It's funny. I hear all the time. Well, you know what? You know, Edrin James you know, was unceremoniously basically pushed out and you know, they came in with Joseph Adai. And I always remind people, Peyton Manning was the quarterback. I mean, Peyton Manning turned, you know, a guy that's a dentist right now into a fantastic right. wide receiver. I mean, that crap didn't matter. Well, you know, you saw what the Chiefs did last year, the sixth round running back and winning the Super Bowl. Patrick, yeah. They have Patrick All have this count, crap though.
2: doesn't matter. The Colts are different. The situation is different. Why don't people realize that? In, in the year... You know, look, uh, Jonathan Taylor is a phenomenal talent. I will take nothing away from him, and I hope that something gets rectified here. But the year that he ran for 1,800 yards and broke Edgerrin's record, they went nine and eight and didn't make the playoffs. You know, and you look at the Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco, seventh rounder from Rutgers, runs for 830 yards and a couple of couple of catches. They win the Super Bowl. So the point the point being that while they're valuable, they're not nearly as valuable as other positions. Now you can argue that they pay a lot of money to sub premium to players at sub premium positions like uh, Quentin Nelson, like Darius Leonard. Wow. So I see the argument there, but I, I just those guys are you you would hope certainly with Quentin Nelson, you, you think they're gonna last a good long time. With running backs, especially guys coming off an injury, you don't know what you've got. But you know, I was of the belief that this whole thing was legit and that it wasn't a soft holdout. And quite honestly, I've changed my mind on that because if you look at a couple of years ago, remember that uh, Shaquille was going through this whole same thing, and he right. too landed on the puck. What happened when he signed his contract? Voila, he was off the puck. Right. So I think this is kind of a soft holdout. Um, yeah. So it, it's just it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And yeah. you saw the pictures of Jonathan Taylor today. You look like you lost his dog. Yeah, I mentioned this a little
0: bit earlier. It looks like that's that was my look when they took away Skinemax, Bob. Right there. That is exactly what my <laughs> facial expression was when they when they took that away. And you you're, you're, I mean, you're right. And it's to me so stinking unnecessary. They've got what 19 million dollars in cap space. And I'm not advocating them signing him forever, you know, and and you know going into when he's going to be broken down and not worth a dime, which is coming because it comes for everybody like that. But, you know, in the now and next year as well, he is by far to me still the guy that you can count on the most offensively, above all else, and why you would want to, and I think about this, too, in terms of last year, Shane Steichen was the O.C. in Philadelphia. You know, Miles Sanders rushed for you know, 1,200 yards, and I know that Philly let him go to Carolina, but we don't know how that's going to work out. It was essential that Sanders rushed in the fashion in which he did to have the offense and Jalen Hurts play at the level in which they did to get them to the Super Bowl. So, I'd be careful kind of what you wish for in all this belief that any running back could come in and take the place of Jonathan Taylor in this particular situation.
2: Yeah, maybe so. But, you know, I, I, I go back to my Denver days and I remember how Mike Shanahan, after Terrell Davis got hurt and ended his career, they they put, they put could put you and me in the backfield we would run for 1,000 yards. Yeah. Because they had Alex Gibbs as their offensive line coach. They had a great offensive line. Um and you got guys, guys like Ruben Drones and Hollandis Gary, both going for like 11, 1200 yards. And so I, I think there's a feeling around the league, especially with the Shane Sakin type RPO heavy offense, that you can put a guy back there and he's going to he's gonna do basically what a, what a Jonathan Taylor does. So... You know, I, I think that Jonathan Taylor was more valuable with the type of offense that Reich uh, ran a couple of years ago or, you know, yeah, last year. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard call. I, you know, I think maybe, maybe there's room to maneuver um, with a shorter-term deal, you know, where you get him up to $9, 11000000 million and you give him a one- or two-year contract. But that's just the way it is with running backs in this copycat lead. You don't pay them a second contract because everybody saw what happened with Gurley and uh, Ezekiel Elliott and guys like that.
0: Hey, Bob, do you think that if if Jonathan Taylor, with his repertoire, you know, had a a third down back pass-catching that we yeah. have seen ability out of the backfield. Would we be going through any of this right now? Because, I mean, see, Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey are viewed at a different level than the guys that are the bell cow running backs like this. Would this be different?
2: So, freaking yes. Uh, uh, if, if he was a guy who played on third down or who was effective on third down, I mean, he, he is not a great uh path protector by any stretch of the imagination. These very, very ordinary out of the backfield catching the football. Yes, if he was now Kamara or a Christian McCaffrey type player, I think we'd be in a completely different type of situation here. Uh, Bob
0: Kravitz with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Substack, you find his work, musings of an old sports writer. And uh, Bob joins us right now. I, I mean, I know this is like taking taking everything away from, you know, the rest of, of camp to this point right now. It, it, it's funny. Do you think at all, do we look at Chris Ballard and Jim putting his trust, you know, into year number seven after six years of not living up to expectations? This dangerous territory right now, because the reason why we're in this whole Jonathan Taylor thing, I mean, remember Chris Ballard traded up in round number two to get him. This is yeah, kind when of they, what when they Chris Ballard had. had- yeah, I mean, this is what Chris had envisioned right now. So are mm-hmm. we seeing a not-so-subtle change from that vision to something else with Chris in mind
2: I, because of the way they're handling I, Jonathan Taylor? I, I, yeah, I don't think so. I, I, think, I think both, and I, I could be wrong, but I think Ursa and uh, Ballard are on the same page on this. I, I just think you look around the league and running backs are not – I mean, running backs – have the, 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 second, the, the second lowest franchise tag besides, besides punchers and kickers. And it's just the way the league is going. And the CBA runs for another seven years, so it's not like they're going to re... Do like you think the owners is going to renegotiate uh, an opportunity to pay somebody more money? I don't think so. So I think this is going to go on for a little while. Uh, you hope it doesn't get to the point where he starts uh, incurring $50,000 a day fines. Um, but the big thing is everybody needs to shut up and be professional about this.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I don't know about you, and I know we're supposed to, like, really enjoy the fact that we have this kind of content to talk about, but I am so sick of, and tired of, like, a clown show going on around here. I can't tell you. I mean, I it's, yeah. it's, it's worn me out to this point.
2: Well, it's great for
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it is. I mean it's good great. for listenership, it's good for viewership for what you're riding and all. Right. But it's just not good for yeah, a product just, and I wanna great. see I wanna see when at a high level before I die here, Bob.
2: And I don't know if yeah. we're on the, the fast track or not to see that. Well, this, this is not going to be a good team this year. I mean, let's let's be no doubt. honest. You no know, doubt. I think they'll going to be okay defensively, but you don't know the quarterback situation. You, you got you got the secondary. God only knows who you're going to have there. Who knows about Shaq? Will the offensive line uh, get itself together under Tony Sperano Jr.? Um, I just don't see them winning a heck of a lot more than they won last year. Maybe you get in a position to get Marvin Harrison Jr., but it's funny some of the some of the tweets that I get. People are already looking at ways to position the Colts to get Marvin Harrison Jr. I know it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like, like nobody else really is going to want him too. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. I, Bob, Bob, I think I think their schedule is too soft. I, I'll be disappointed, and I, I think I've said this before. I, I would take the under on six, but I, I think that in a lot of these games, we're going to witness they at the very least better be competitive because of the schedule
2: and look the bottom line is it's not winning or losing or even being competitive although that would certainly be nice um it's getting it's getting five on the field getting five on the field getting him comfortable getting his his feet under him and him showing some signs um we, we certainly saw them today he took uh, most, if not all, of the first-team snaps. That 60-yarder to uh, Alex Pierce is just one of those throws where you go, holy crap. Um, so you, we're seeing signs that you want to see it during the season. I think it's going to be one of the most interesting preseasons we've ever had here in Indianapolis, and I never thought I'd say that. I've said it all along, much like Rick Carlisle came
0: on with me in October of a year ago and, and basically said, hey, you know, there are going to be moments when you're going to think we really suck. We stink. Right. What the Pacers are doing, Bob, last year, they were underselling. And then what they ended up doing is overperforming. They gave yeah. you more than what you thought you were going to get. And along with entertainment value, that's what's necessary from the Colts
2: this year. I hope they take that right. cue. I I do not disagree. Hey, by the way, I'm sorry I couldn't uh, hook up with you and Wells yesterday at the smoke-off. Who won, by the way? I won my third consecutive win, $4,000
0: to Teacher's Treasures. Oh, that's
2: fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, I went
0: went hardwood. He went kind of cherry
2: cola kind of deal, and uh, the hardwood won out, as it normally should. So, yeah, yeah. As it should. Yeah, we, uh, we played golf in that stifling heat yesterday, and I, <laughs> I, was, I was completely baked and not in a good way. Uh, I well, came home, drank some water, and laid on the couch. Let me tell you this. If you
0: were at the Rook, 71st and Keystone, I was just across the street at Sullivan Hardware and Garden yesterday. If you were here right now, you'd be having a blast, and yeah, we would well, have to give you a ride home. There's no doubt. <laughs> you would need a ride home from this.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm a responsible human being. So I'll I know you are. I know you love that. It. <laughs> hey,
0: keep on, keep on keeping on as you're doing right now whenever uh, right, you buddy. want to come on. Please do subtract musings of an old sports writer and uh, upcoming Bob's thoughts on Jim Irsay as his role is played out in this entire situation. Uh, look forward to that as well. Bob, have a great weekend. I appreciate you. All right, buddy. Take care. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline, big weekend for the Reds on the road at Chavez Ravine against the Dodgers. The Dodgers making some moves today, by the way, on a pitching front to talk about that and more from MLB.com. He has covered the Reds absolutely forever. Mark Sheldon joins us now. Mark, welcome back to the show And Andy, How are you doing? Doing
1: great. How are you?
0: Mark, we saw the Dodgers evidently making some moves today with Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly, uh, both incredible uh, right-handed arms pitching-wise for the Dodgers. Um, Of course, this weekend, that's where the Reds are. Uh, What are you expecting right now moves-wise from the Reds? Anything on the horizon you foresee or maybe nothing? What do you think?
1: They definitely need some starting pitching help, and two of the guys they were looking at possibly are now going somewhere else, Lance Lynn going to the Dodgers and uh, Lucas Giolito going to the Angels. So there's still other pitchers out there in the market, whether it's uh, Blake Snell, another White Sox guy, uh, Dylan Cease. Uh, Michael Kopech, uh, there's a few names out there. They definitely need some help. Uh, whether they can actually do it or not it remains to be seen. There, there's a lot of, uh, I'm sure, asking for big prospects. And I don't think the Reds want to move their prospects. We thought the, the high-end ones. You know, I will
0: say this, Mark. Um, I'm all for them making some moves and trying to get better right now because I've had as, as much fun with this team as a Reds fan as I've had in a long time. But I I don't want them to bring somebody in, you know, just for the hell of it, Mark Langston-style, into the season stuff, and give up something of major farm club importance. Because, Mark, one part about it is they've had to work so hard to get their farm system to this level right now. As much as I enjoy what I'm watching and as much as I believe they can still win, I don't know at all if they're in that type of mode to where this move, that move is made where you give up so much out of your farm system is really ultimately going to equate to what we're looking for
1: here. You know what I mean? I understand what you mean, but you have to give up something to get something. You can't give away spare parts and expect to get a frontline starter. So uh, they're in a rare situation where they were expecting to contend a couple of years from now, and they're contending now. And you don't want to fritter that away either. So I, I think there's a happy medium to, to kind of reach where they want to find a guy that maybe has some control beyond this year. So he's not a rental player. And that makes it more worthwhile to part with a few prospects in order to get that guy. There's not many of those people out there. If it's a rental, you don't have to give, necessarily give up your, the cream of your crop in the, the farm system. You can find people that or the team might accept and get the guy for the next two months without sacrificing your system. The Reds have a lot of prospect capital. They can make a move and not damage their system too badly.
0: So, Mark Sheldon of MLB.com, longtime time coverer of the Cincinnati Reds, again via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, Reds and Dodgers. Weekend set in Southern California beginning later on, tonight Uh, one good thing I guess right is that Milwaukee and all the events with the Brewers are now done for the season what what was it that was such a defining factor between the Brewers being so dominant this season against the Reds I know it starts with pitching but especially with two in particular but why so much of a divide between one and the other in these two teams in their case
1: well, you said it's pitching. They have a great uh, top of the rotation. They have a superb bullpen. And they struck out, I think, 18 times uh, in the last game against Milwaukee on Wednesday. And that really says it all. That's why the Reds need pitching. They, they need the kind of pitcher that can shut down offenses that are that are successful. And that's, that's what they don't have enough of right now. So that's, that's really the difference. And it's actually bad news that they don't play the Brewers anymore because they don't really control their own destiny. They need to face them down the stretch in order to cut some of the lead, you know, the deficit in the division, but they won't be able to do that now. Now they'll have to keep winning and expect other teams to knock down the Brewers.
0: Yeah, and I, that's – like I, I look at it, Mark, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't think the Brewers are that great. I just think they're, they're really great against the
1: Reds. Does that make sense? They're not that great, but nobody in the division's that great. That's why the exactly. division's up for grabs. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a division that's winnable, and that's because every, every team's got some flaws. The, the Brewers have flaws with their offense. They have injury problems, and the Reds have flaws with their starting pitching, and the Cubs have plenty of flaws. So there's, there's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a faulty division to begin with, which makes it so winnable.
0: Yeah, that's uh, part of it. Mark Sheldon is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group line. How out of nowhere has Andrew Abbott been for you this year, Mark?
1: I don't want to say out of nowhere because he's a second-round pick from a couple of years ago, and he was very well thought of uh, even last season that he was coming. And he had a you know he had a really nice uh, time in Double A last year, and he, this year even more so. He came out of the gate really strong in Double A AA and Triple A, and. So, I don't want to say out of the gate, but what's really amazing is just, it's, I, I don't know if you could ever expect a guy to come into the major leagues, especially without the, the power arm and the strikeout galore kind of stuff that people have nowadays to do what he's been doing. That that part's a surprise, because you just don't expect a guy to come up and just be this successful this fast, uh, but he's, he's done it, and he's got the kind of stuff that makes him a kind of a more old-school pitcher. He's changes speeds he locates he does all the things that you want to see a, a, a pitcher do and it's and he's doing it at a very very high level
0: as an old-time baseball fan too the dude looks exactly like jerry royce he does <laughs> to me i mean exactly Where's like the
1: same number too yeah it's amazing.
0: It is so i'm glad i'm glad that i have you on because you, you're one of the few people i think i could tell that to and you would get it I mean, he looks exactly like Jerry Royce to me out there, coming at you from the left side.
1: Yeah, he's a he's a ginger instead of a, a blonde, but yeah, more or less, he's got the mustache, the left-handed stuff. He's not a <laughs> he's not a physical specimen per se, but he he really does do what what he needs to do to get be successful. He. He can hit all four, you know, quadrants of the plate. He can hit you with a fastball. He can get you with a curveball. He can get you with what they call a sweeper now instead of a slider. Uh, there's just a lot of different weapons that he has. And, and if one's lacking, he can bring out another one to to offset that and adjust. And he makes adjustments on the fly. So it's been really impressive.
0: So, Mark Sheldon, again, joining us, covers the Reds for MLB.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. So, we're about a a month and a half deep into the uh, L.A. De La Cruz moments that we have all enjoyed so far. I want to look at both sides of this with you, if you wouldn't mind. First of all, things that have just majorly impressed you that maybe you thought you wouldn't see, and then things that we don't often talk about, but obviously as a young, still inexperienced player with an incredible level of talent, things he really has to start and consider consistently do better?
1: On the first part, it's just been amazing just watching him do things like run. I mean, just when he gets on, the, gets up to speed and he's taking extra bases or stealing a base, it, it is really remarkable because I don't know if I have seen somebody in person that fast. Billy Hamilton's the closest that comes to mind, but uh, he's been really sensational that way. And, and of course, with the, the, the force of the, the, the hits that he does get when he makes contact, he doesn't get cheated. He hits the ball a ton. And that's very impressive, even though I've seen that before, but it's just amazing to see what he can do With you know, at 21. On the other side, I, I'm a little surprised that he hasn't been more prolific uh, on the right side. He's, he's definitely a more normal or average hitter, uh, batting right-handed against lefties. He's been very exposed in that way, perhaps. And that's an area where he's going to have to make some improvements. But he, overall, though, is, even when he's not hitting well, he does take good at bats. He seems to see a lot of pitches. He doesn't seem to be... Clueless in the, about the strike zone, he knows his strike zone, and he's doing very, very well in that way. And he's very smart, and he makes a lot of adjustments too. But it's just a matter of putting it all together on the regular to to become a superstar. And I think you know he's got the tools to do that.
0: Hey, hey Mark, we got a, a couple of, as I mentioned, the Reds and Dodgers begin a weekend set later on tonight. We got a couple of really interesting matchups. The other with the front-running and the Central Brewers. And the Braves, if you were looking at this right now, which team out of the Central has a better opportunity to make some ground against their competition, which is incredibly stiff, without a doubt, this weekend for both?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, the Braves are obviously a tough team as well, and, and the Reds played them really well, even though they didn't uh, always get the, the outcomes they wanted. They played the Braves incredibly tough, so I think the Braves are kind of a class of the National League, so we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: What do you think about David Bell and the job he has done this season with, uh, you know, balancing this, you know, the the different lineups, the different bodies, decision wise, what he's had to do uh, with a pitching staff, obviously, which is still, you know, subpar. But, you know, trying to lean into things right here. What do you think about the job David Bell has done to this point?
1: I think he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, He's certainly a candidate for manager of the year. He's what he's done. Really, that he's been doing it even last year, and just didn't really register for many people because they lost 100 games. He's done a really good job of managing young players, setting expectations for uh, for working together, for creating chemistry. I know the chemistry is kind of overblown sometimes because it's it's more of an intangible that you can you can't put a number on, but. These guys play for each other. They, they, they want to they pick each other up. There's a certain amount of selflessness in how they play if, if they do that. And that's all kind of starting from him. He created a culture really since he, since he got here five years ago, but especially this last couple of years, uh, of just a very positive culture uh, uh, where, where teammates pick each other up. They work together. They get along and they've seen the guys that were more selfish or don't play well for other people, they don't succeed and they're not here anymore. So I think you, you kind of sense that uh, he's done that. He, he kind of sets the tone and everyone's accountable. And I think that's, that's paying off in a season where they, they weren't expecting to be as successful maybe, or the t- people weren't expecting them to be as successful. And, and they are successful because those are some of the things that are coming out in the wash right now that they're, they're working together. They're picking each other up. They're, They're spreading hits around the lineup. The the bullpen is just picking up the rotation. The offense is picking up the rotation as well, and it's all kind of working together. Hey, Mark, who's
0: been the most important out of the bullpen
1: outside of Diaz to you? Gosh, uh, there's there's been a few. You you look at uh, Alex Young being the one lefty. He seems to be able to work well in multiple different types of situations. Uh, Ian Zubow. Who is not anyone's idea of maybe a premier uh, reliever, you know, in a lot of ways on other teams, but he's really been successful for this team. And when he's when he's got uh, when he's not fatigued, he could be very strong, especially at getting out of jams. And then of course Lucas Sims has been kind of the eighth inning guy, and, and when he's on, he's able to get a lot of guys out. But the the issue that whole bullpen's going to have is just staying rested enough to be successful. When they're tired, they're very, you know, they're flawed like any bullpen would be. Yeah, I in I,
0: I don't know if there's going to be, Mark, maybe you would disagree with me on this. I don't know if there's going to be enough opportunity to significantly enough help out uh, what is necessary on this pitching staff in the short term. Does that make sense? No, you have to explain that. Yeah, I, I like. I don't know if there are enough options out there for the Reds right now that they would want to take that would make their make their pitching staff from a starter coming in or a bullpen member oh you that much recruit, better yeah. than what they are right now.
1: You know what I mean? No, I think I think they can. No, I absolutely think they can make improvements in both bullpen and and rotation to to help them. If nothing else, just to have a more experienced arm, a guy that's been around. Uh, especially in the rotation. If you get a a proven starter that's got some playoff uh, postseason or kind of chase experience, who can take the ball every five days, who can give six to seven innings, I think that would be a huge upgrade for the uh, rotation. Even if they just get one guy. I mean, they they could really use two. But if they just get one guy to go with the guys they have that have been pitching very well lately, the rotation's been much better coming out of the All-Star break. But if they can get one guy, I think it would not only would it be better for the, the staff, but it would also send a message to the clubhouse that the team's going for it. They're making an effort. They're trying to seize the moment and, and try to win. You know, get to the playoffs. And I think that would also be a boost for the team.
0: All right, Mark, you maybe just caught my Reds fan pessimism leaking out a little bit right there. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe that's it. Hey, I did want to ask you this. I mentioned this at the top of, of the segment here. What do you think about what the Dodgers did with, with Lynn and Kelly today? Because when you mention that, you get you get a starter that that has you know been a quality starter over the years, and you also get a quality reliever that's been in a, a number of big postseason situations in his past.
1: Yeah, Joe Kelly's a Dodger star here from his first go around with the Dodgers. They love him here. Uh, Lance Lynn is a kind of a back-of-the-rotation guy, but the Dodgers have been kind of beset by injuries. They could really use some help in their rotation. Uh, they also got a shortstop in med Rosario, so they're, they're, they've they been kind of underwhelming so far this season, and now they're going for it, and that, they're going to be a factor in the NL West. And They certainly want to get back to the playoffs with their with their huge payroll. So uh, I don't know how much of a difference maker Lance Lynn will be for them, but he's somebody that the Reds could have used perhaps, but we'll see yeah. what happens.
0: That's interesting you say that, too. All right, that's uh, Mark Sheldon, everybody. MLB.com staked out in Southern California getting ready for a weekend set with the Reds and the Dodgers. Kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Podline. Man, outstanding work. I, I do. I love following what you do and what you're writing about my team. It's funny. I don't know if you, you, you feel this at all, but you know, I'm in a market here in Indianapolis where we don't have a Major League Baseball team. Thus, I get to root for um, you know, one of my teams, and the Reds have always been my team, and this has been the most outstanding month and a half for me to be a reds fan that really it, it almost has the feeling of going all the way back to 1990 to wire to wire because it, it just wow. has been that exciting you know what i mean and it's been pretty special well, been for me the last season. month and a half
1: that's an exciting season it's contagious it, it, it definitely can feel the buzz in cincinnati and clearly in indianapolis too it's a i guess it's a distraction from the car season which is what I follow sometimes. I like, I like Indy cars and, and Formula One, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's cool that uh, the Reds are resonating outside of Cincinnati, too. Well, wait a minute. Since you brought that up, who's your Indy car driver? Who do you follow the most? Um, I've always kind of like, I'm more of the old school kind of people. I like, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? I'm sorry, I'm blanking out. Tony Cannon I like yeah. uh, Graham Rahal, uh, Colton Hurta. I like Brian Herta when he was a driver. Uh, so I, I've liked a lot of different drivers over the years. Team Ray Hall yeah. is probably my team though. I like the I like Team Ray Hall Letterman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm assuming. I would guess that uh, Graham is a Reds fan, right? I would guess. Well, he grew so. up in Ohio, but I don't know. He hasn't uh, come around the ballpark that I know of. I know I know David Letterman's been around uh, well, at least once, but it would be cool if, uh, really? if Ray Hall Letterman, Lanigan, want to make a, an appearance at Great American Ballpark. I'm sure the Reds would welcome
0: Well, yeah, that, and I, I tell you this, I, I talk to Chris Welsh all the time, too, and I know this to be certain that, that Kirk Herbstreet of ESPN is one of the bigger Reds fans, longtime Reds fans out there. I always yes. kind of agree with his tweets when he's tweeting something out about old school versus new school, so I kind of get it.
1: Yeah, he's a huge Red Fan. So there's definitely some Red Fans out there.
0: Hey, Mark, I appreciate that. Have a great weekend in Southern California and hope things go well for the Red Legs. And we'll do it again soon. Thank you.
1: All right, take care. Thank you.